Today's episode is brought to you by Red Rock Roasters. You've heard of Red Rock Roasters, right? Oh, you haven't? Founded in 1993, Red Rock Roasters is a family-owned, multi-generational, specialty coffee roaster based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And to help celebrate 30 years of excellence, during the month of November, Red Rock Roasters is holding a 30 days of giveaway celebration. All you have to do is use the hashtag 30 years of Red Rock Roasters when you share your posts on Instagram or Facebook stories to be entered into the drawing. Coffee and merchandise will be awarded every single day through November to 30 participants whose names will be randomly drawn from amongst the folks who use the hashtag. You can find Red Rock Roasters Coffee in your local Albertsons, Sprouts, Smith's Food and Drug, and Whole Foods Market in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Don't live in Albuquerque? Again, no problem. You can visit redrockroasters.com to see their entire collection of responsibly sourced beans that are perfectly roasted with the care and professionalism your next cup of coffee deserves. Listen, you, you can't lose on this. So use the hashtag 30 years of Red Rock Roasters to start winning some coffee and merchandise the entire month of November. You can find more details in the show notes. Hello, hello. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Swim Kareem. So excited to have you back in for another episode, episode 25. And this is a bit of a special episode. Listen, it's November 1st, two more months in the rest of the year, and then we're, we're going to be rocking 2024. <laughs> so it's a very special episode because normally I do every other week. But we got a special one today. We got Red Rock Roasters, our today's official sponsor. And they've got a nice little program going on. You heard it at the beginning. Be sure to use that hashtag, 30 years of Red Rock Roasters. They are, dare I say, they are rocking. They're giving away all kinds of stuff. I think coffee today. I've already messaged them uh, today. Use the Instagram. Uh, so be sure to follow us on Instagram. I've used the hashtag. Maybe I'll win. I don't know if that's a direct conflict, but maybe even I win something. You never know. So be sure to follow us on Instagram. Use that hashtag. Um, we got a good episode today. We are loaded. I, I mean, right now we are on a roll. You never know. I might do an episode every Wednesday for the rest of the year. You never know. We have on today's main topic, we're going to talk about taking money from organizations you don't like. Giving Tuesday is around the corner. If you're like me, if you're on LinkedIn, if you're messing around on Instagram, I'm seeing a lot of fundraisers right now that are really talking Giving Tuesday. But what happens if you if you take money as an organization and you don't like the the entity or the group that's giving you money? So we're gonna talk about that here in a little bit, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. For today's news segment in the first five minutes, this is gonna be a really good one. We're talking about a trademark infringement lawsuit happening between two pride groups in Houston. Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting one. So we're going to talk about that here in a couple of minutes. And we have a non-profit horror story. We're back, baby. And we've got a good one. I'm not even going to share too much about it. But stay tuned for that. The last 10 minutes, we've got a good non-profit horror story in honor of today's sponsor, of Red Rock Roaster. So... Let me make sure I'm not missing anything. Hmm. Hmm. 
Be sure to listen to the two previous episodes. We did the most previous episode. We talked about job ranges. You know, when you go to apply to a nonprofit job and it doesn't have a, a salary range, how frustrating that could be. We talked about that. And the previous episode before that, episode 23, we had our very first guest ever. She told a nonprofit horror story, Emily Cronin, that there I say, shook me. <laughs> if you listen to the episode, you know what I mean. So uh, go back to listen to episode 23, our first ever guest. All right, let's get into today's new segment. One of the things I do when, when it comes to choosing the new segment, you all know this. I just, I just honestly, I type in one word in Google and I just see what comes up. And I just type in nonprofit. I hit the news button and I see what's going on across the nation. And today, let me tell you, it, it's, you all know this. I like to check the news about, you know, 24 to 40 hours before. There was a litany of truly high level stories that I was like, you know, the the meme of the person trying to choose between two buttons. That was basically me. Because some of the, let me read you some of the headlines that I saw from this week. Quote, this is from Seattle Times. Quote, one homelessness nonprofit is taking wages, is taking raising wages into its own hands. That was a really good article about a, a, a nonprofit homeless uh, uh, focused organization in Seattle that increased their entry-level jobs by 72% in terms of the raises, wages, wages. Can I talk right? In terms of the wages. So that was a really good one. This is from uh, the, one of the St. Louis newspapers. Quote, St. Louis nonprofit director stole millions from child nutrition program, feds say. If you go back, I think it was like episode eight, maybe seven. I, I told a story about a woman who was stealing money from a nonprofit and the feds get involved. Once the feds get involved, you, you don't want that. So that's not good. Here's another one. This is from Federal Way, which is an organization just outside of Seattle or a city just outside of Seattle. Quote, crash and grab thieves steal sodas, leave nonprofit cafe with $30,000 in repair bill. That that, uh, that was a really good one. That one came with a video. So if you look up Federal Way, $30,000 uh, repair bill, that was a good one about this nonprofit cafe. Some people backed the truck up to this nonprofit, jumped out, were trying to steal something, and it looks like they only got away with sodas from the video, so that was interesting. But this is the one. This is the headline. I was like, okay, th this is the one. This is from, let me make sure I have this right here because I'm looking. I know it came from the Houston Chronicle, so I know they're a big you know, operation out there in the Houston area. I mean, Houston, what, the third, fourth largest city in America, quote, Pride Houston 365 sues newer non Pride nonprofit over trademark infringement. And this is written by Hannah Ikra, uh, Ikra Mundy. Hannah, this is, or Hannah, could be Hannah, could be Hannah, but Hannah, I believe, Ikra Mundy. And she just writes an article, really good little article, actually, about there's this longtime local LGBT organization in Houston called Pride Houston 365. And I went to their website and it looks like they probably do a bunch of other things in the community, but their big thing is organizing the Pride Parade in Houston. So, you know, I can only imagine if you're in like, you know, New York, 
if you're in Philadelphia, if you're in Seattle, if you're in Denver, I mean, of course, San Francisco, you know, they have big parades. You know, June is usually the time. Uh, I think in Phoenix, it's so hot, they do it, I think, in like August, not even August, I think they do it in like September. So depending where you're at, most places do it in June. And so I, I, from what I understand from this article, Pride Houston 365, they've been around forever. A newer nonprofit on the block opens up shop, and the name of this newer nonprofit is called, and I quote, New Faces of Pride Houston. Of course, the big thing being Pride Houston. So Pride Houston 365, New Faces of Pride Houston. And so this original organization, of course, this is how the website or the, the article bases it. Pride Houston 365, they file a trademark infringement lawsuit saying, hey, that name that you're using is too similar to our name. They also go on to say that in addition to the names, the logos of the organizations look similar. So it was confusing if you were like a vendor, if you're a volunteer, if you're someone who's thinking of uh, getting information about the, the June 2024 Pride Parade in Houston, you go to this particular website, but you may go to this newer website or this newer organization and, and kind of get confused. So they filed this lawsuit according to the, the Pride Houston co-president, Kendra Walker. And the article is interesting. I, I don't need to share too much uh, about it or get into the details of the squabble, but one of the most interesting things I found was a little bit closer to the end of the article where, where Hannah Ikramundi, the, the staff writer, says, and I quote in this article, the members of the organizations have been engaged in legal disputes before. Some new faces of Pride members initially worked for Pride Houston before creating the new group because of conflict within the group, according to Houston Public Media. So, so what it sounds like to me is that there's a couple, of course, as you can imagine, it's Houston. It's a big, it's, you know, it's a big city. There's a couple of different pride-based organizations, and it sounds like Pride Houston 365 has been at the middle of being like, hey, you can't use that name. Or, hey, we've had people that work with us, and they, like, leave our organization because they've been around forever, and they start their own organization, and people can kind of get confused. And one of the things I always tell people in the nonprofit space is that it's not just mission and raising money. It's not just volunteers and doing good in a the community. There are instances like this right here where you are a nonprofit and someone else tries to say, hey, I'm starting a nonprofit and it sounds similar or people may get confused on which is which. And so a lot of nonprofits actually spend a lot of money that they wish they didn't have to on cease and desist letters. They spend a lot of money on lawyers, court fees. And this sounds like one of those situations. So check it out. I have it in the show notes. It's just another reminder of the depth that is the nonprofit space. And you don't even have to be a nonprofit that's on a national scale. I've never even heard of Pride Houston 365. And yet they are in the news and they are filing a lawsuit against another nonprofit. That is something that happens, so be sure to check that out. Uh, a, a great article and a great little reminder for us in today's new segment. This is the time of year, November, December, 
where a lot of nonprofits start to take on a lot of donations, especially from individuals where you'll have individuals, families that will, you know, whether for religious reasons or just because of the holidays, the season to, to kind of give back. There are a lot of people that are struggling. The market is tough right now. People are without work and jobs. And so a lot of nonprofits get a lot of donations from individuals, families, church groups, uh, social welfare groups, and other nonprofits that will just kind of open up the pocketbooks and kind of give to give to their uh, local community nonprofit. And, you know, it's super funny because years ago, I had somebody tell me probably one of the best things I've ever had a person say, and they aren't even in a nonprofit space. This was maybe back in 2000, mid-2000, maybe 15, something, 14, 15, something like that. I was working with a nonprofit. And my ex-wife, funny enough, and I don't know why, I seem to keep mentioning my ex-wife a lot. And and, and it's super funny because actually I even had someone that hit me with a message. They were like, you, you've been talking about your ex-wife a lot. Why is that? And I'm like, I spent like a third of my life with this person. If you spent a third of your life with anyone, you're going to identify. I obviously learned some lessons and get some insights into who you are, whether it's family, friends, children. So why wouldn't I? Like, I have no reason to hide it, right? And I remember this was back in, you know, we had just got married or we were around that point. I was working for a nonprofit. And the organization I was working with got a large, I mean, multi-million dollar donation from, from an organization. And I remember talking to her and I think I mentioned this on one of the previous episodes a little bit a little bit of a briefer fashion I said you know I I don't really agree and I was real low I wasn't even I wasn't even in a mid-level manager's position with this nonprofit and I just remember telling her I was like you know I don't agree because this organization has some spotty history in terms of the work that they do and they sell a lot of products, I'll just say that. They have a lot of employees. They're one of the largest, if not the top. They're definitely in the top 10 largest employers in the United States for a for-profit retail organization. So you might be able to figure it out. And I remember her saying, well, would you rather they keep the money or would you rather they give the money to you? And she, was never, she wasn't in a nonprofit space or anything like that. But she provided me an insight into a a feeling and a thinking that really resonated with me because there are going to be times where your nonprofit, whether you're the founder, you know, because we don't have owners, but whether you're the founder, the board chair, a board member, a higher ranking official, whether you do the accounting, the HR, or you're just a, 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 a everyday hourly worker, right? There are going to be moments when the organization you work with takes money from an organization that you don't like. It's going to happen. And it could be you don't like that organization for any number of reasons. Maybe a philosophical difference. Maybe you don't like the way they receive their money. Maybe you don't like the people that lead that organization. It could be any number of reasons why. But your nonprofit is going to get money from an entity that you don't agree with, that you don't like. And and as people, we do this all the time because, listen, I'm not going to get on any more hobby horse here. I I think there are some instances where it's a little less than ideal. I'll talk about that here in about two minutes. But 
we do this all the time as, as individuals and everyday people, but we kind of do it in reverse, where we give our money to organizations that we don't like because they have a product that we enjoy, because they, they do something that no one else can do. Listen, I talk on my iPhone all the time. I have an iPhone. I'm looking at it right now. I got the iPhone 12. I know the 15 just came out, everything like that. I talk on this iPhone. They do all kind of stuff. They share data with other organizations, third parties I don't agree with. Listen, they're monitoring everything that you do. We know this. We know what it is, right? We, we go to uh, different auto car manufacturers, we go to different suppliers, and we and we give them their money. Or we give them our money all the time, whether it's because they're the only supplier of that, maybe because they had the best product but the worst service. I hear that all that you know. You see that all the time. Where I I hate this place and blah blah blah. They have the worst service, but if they are the only place that has what you're looking for, you, you give them their you give them your money, right? So look, no more high horses over here. That's not my thing. And I think there are a lot of nonprofits that take money from organizations that they don't like. There are people that are in the nonprofit. There are people that are collectively moving that nonprofit, working with that nonprofit, or even supporting, right? You can be a donor, and whether you give $100 a year or you give $100,000 a year, you could give your money to a nonprofit organization, and then in turn, they take money from a foundation that you don't agree with, from a government entity, because again, 80% of all nonprofits receive their money from uh, the government. So maybe they get their money from a government agency or group. Maybe they, they get their money from a collection of people in the local community that for whatever reason, you just don't like. And listen, I'm here to tell you, it is what it is. I mean, honestly, like it's one of those things where we in the nonprofit space can get really, really invested in the work that we're doing. And I think that's a-okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But there are moments where you really have to ask yourself the question of, would you rather they keep the money or would you rather they give the money to you? Because they're going to give the money to somebody. It's a fact. Whether you're the Coke industry uh, brothers whether you are uh, the, I'm trying to think of some other ones, the Crayola Foundation, the NBA uh, Association Foundation, it doesn't matter what you are or how you get the money. There are going to be tons of groups that would love to take that $10,000 check. If I'm working with, I'm just going to give a random example here. If I'm working with Coca-Cola, and we know Coca-Cola brings in a lot of money, a lot. I've been to their museum in Atlanta that they sponsor everything in that city. They're, they're everywhere. They are going to give their money to somebody. I think it's in Fulton. I think Fulton County. Listen, Atlanta people don't come after me here. But they're going to give their money to somebody, even though, listen, let's be, let's be real. And I'm drinking some, you know, I'm drinking a Sprite every now and then. They, they sell drinks that are sugary, have a lot of sodium, a lot of fat, a lot of sugar, a lot of trans fat that just really aren't good for you. We know they're selling Mountain Dew. I think Mountain Dew is Pepsi. But if you've ever been to Appalachian, you've heard of Mountain Dew Mouth. If you haven't, look it up. We know a lot of these companies and organizations spend a lot of money producing a lot of things that, honestly, we don't agree with. And yet, 
And yet, if Coca-Cola knocked on my door right now, if Amazon walked on my door right now and said, here's a check for $50,000, do you want it or do you want me to give it to the person down the street? I'm going to take the money. All right, all right. Time for our favorite segment of the show. Time for the nonprofit horror story. And this is a good one. This might be one of the shortest Nonprofit stories I've ever received, uh, but but it's a good one because you know full disclosure I did hear this live for the first time, and so I was at a networking event uh, not that long ago, and you know when you're at a networking event you're you're meeting new people, and what's the question that you always get when you're in a networking event? Yeah, you always get the question, "What do you do?" It's a question as old as time. It's never gonna go away, and it's one that. I wish as a society we kind of retired it, maybe like, you know, what are your passions these days? Do you feel like your work um, lines up with your passion? Those are kind of the questions I like personally, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a question, so I'm not mad at it. So it was like, what do you do? And I said, oh, I, I do a podcast called The Nonprofit Insider, you know, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And the person goes, oh, I used to be very, very big in the nonprofit space. What you know, what, what, what's the podcast? You know, what are some of the things about it? And so I'm like, oh, you know, we do we do a news segment and I just give more commentary feel to the nonprofit space. But one of the big things we have is a nonprofit horror story. So she said, oh, tell me more about that. So I'm you know, telling her some stories from previous episodes. And she said, oh, that's pretty good. I actually have plenty of those, but one immediately sticks out to me. And I said, oh, really? And like, I'm like, okay, I'm self-serving here. You know, my ears pin up a little. I'm like, oh, tell me about it. And she told me a story that was so timely, so perfect. I said, I got it. I said, listen, I need to get this on the show. And sure enough, she delivered. And so I'm not going to say too much. I have a lot of commentary at the end. But this is a story from, uh, we're going to call her Isabella, that I think you all are really going to appreciate. So for today's nonprofit horror story, we have Isabella. Isabella writes. Hey, Swim. It was great meeting you for the first time the other day through YPA. I would love to be featured on your podcast as a part of the nonprofit horror segment, although it is a very short story. As I mentioned the other day, I was working at a a small alternative school that had nonprofit status for about a year, and we would often hold events for the school parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles would volunteer to help in the setup of many of the events. Well, we were having a pre-event meeting about a month or so before one of our biggest events of the year to prep everyone on the roles and responsibilities they would have, etc., etc., including chips and salsa. Well, one of the grandmothers that was present, and I don't say this to be rude or mean, but she was up there in age, was in line getting some of the snacks. I kid you not, the grandmother was loading her plate with some of the chips, but she wanted to check the spiciness level of the salsa first. I just happened to be standing next to her in line when what I saw next truly horrified me. She proceeded to put some of the salsa on her plate. Then she dipped one of her chips into the salsa that was on her plate. And then she double dipped the same chip 
into the salsa that was on her plate. No big deal, right? It was all on her plate. Well, she then added more salsa on her plate, but realized she grabbed too much and then proceeded to take a scoop of the tainted salsa that just had her double dip chip and she took a scoop of the salsa and put it back into the community bowl. She basically double dipped the chip, but like worse. <laughs> gag. And I want to pause because she legit wrote gag, G-A-G, three exclamation points. Gag. I almost quit that job on the spot. <laughs> And I was already kind of wary of potluck events, but this was a nonprofit horror story that has forever stayed in my mind 10 years later. Thank you so much, Swim, for the opportunity. I hope this is able to make the final cut. Well, I can tell you, Isabella, that this is 100% making a podcast uh, because gag slash gross. <laughs> I mean, wow, that is, we're, we're kind of getting removed from the heights of COVID and there are many parts of me that are like, mm, I kind of like when we were a little bit more cautious because there are some things that are going around in terms of sickness, in terms of mentality when it comes to food and events and mixing the two together that is scary as shit. And that is one of those things that you, you, you cannot unsee that. You know, it's when it's like when you go to a restaurant and you know that, listen, there's some things that are happening in the back that you'd rather not know about, but the food is super good. There are some places like that all over America. You're like, dang, this food is boss. I do not want to go in the kitchen. But when you see it and you're standing next to it and you're supposed to respect your elders, you can't unsee that. That is, Isabella, that is scary. Gary, that is, honestly, I'm speechless. And, and, and I say this is a timely story because I've been talking with my girlfriend a lot. And one, one of the questions, we were talking, we, well, obviously we talk a lot, duh. But I was talking to her not long ago, maybe like three, four months ago. And a conversation came up on when's the first time you've had chips and salsa? And I remember mine clearly. I was in uh, Warren Wilson College. I was in a service learning program. I was 18. And I remember in one of the very first meetings of us in this Bonner Scholar AmeriCorps group, someone brought out a bowl of chips and a red bowl of salsa. And I'd never had chips and salsa. Because you got to remember, I, I grew up in Philadelphia. So for you people in California, in Texas, you know, parts of the Southwest, that, that's a staple. But growing up in Philadelphia, I didn't know anyone that had chips and salsa. So I remember being in Asheville, North Carolina, seeing chips and salsa and not knowing what to do. And there might have been maybe like two, three months until I really had chips and salsa for the first time because I just wasn't sure on the etiquette or the process. I didn't know if the salsa was, was it spicy? Is it sweet? I just didn't know. And so I had asked her, and she's like, oh, you know, I think the first time I had chips and salsa was probably, you know, middle school, elementary school. But she's from Albuquerque. She's from the Southwest. So that's the question I'm going to ask as we wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much, Isabella, for this amazing story. Um, 
did I, I this is I mean wow. When's the first time you had chips and salsa? Follow me on Instagram. Let me know. Use the hashtag uh, Red Rock. Thirty years of Red Rock Roasters, and use the hashtag Salsa. Screw it. I don't even care because I want to know. And I've talked to a lot of people that say, "Oh yeah, the first time I've had chips and salsa, like I was like a full on adult, you know, like thirty. Uh, but if one rule is ever so present in all society, is you cannot double dip. So we'll see you on the next episode. We got another one coming next week. Have a good day, everyone. Take care.